to our text is in Hosea chapter 13 and verse 9 is the text in a sermon that I have titled, So Who or What is Your Problem? Okay, have you ever had anybody say that to you? What is your problem? Who is your problem? And if they're bigger than you, you don't say you are. You know, and so, but you know, when you think about that, don't say you are to God either. Okay, because he's got your best interests in mind. But we're in Hosea chapter 13 and verse 9. And I want you to see what God says to us as he tells us what is on his mind. Now, whenever you're reading the Bible, it is God's word. The Holy Spirit breathed out every word, the holy men of old. Every word. So when you're reading the Bible, you're reading the mind of Christ. So that's what we're doing. We're going to see what God's thinking about today. So as we look in verse 9, uh, he says, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. In me is thine help. That's true for Israel, and that's true for you and me as well. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray as we preach your word, I pray, pray that you'd help me to rightly divide it. But Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just take over. Speak to hearts in this auditorium, those on the internet, live stream, radio. Lord, do what I can't do and move in the way that only you can move. Rebuke the devil that he in no way hinders the word going forth or interferes with the listener in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. A lady has her two young boys and they're on an airplane. A man is sitting behind them and just enjoying the, the two boys seem to be fairly well behaved and and she along the line is giving some instructions to them. But now they're getting ready to land. They're in the process of landing. And so she's given her last instructions to those two little boys. And she says, now look, when we get off the plane, you go in. And you see your dad. Go up to him and give him a big hug before you hug the dog. <laughs> now, that does make sense, doesn't it? Okay. Uh, but, you know, when I first read that thing, I, I kind of got a laugh out of it. But then I got to thinking about it. You know, those little boys needed to know who supplied the money and everything for that trip. But he used mom to buy, to take, and use it. So to the, those boys, all they know, mom is great. Dad's back at home doing his thing. Our dad was working, and he's preparing. We know the Lord is preparing for us a place. And so he does the same thing with us. And yet, you know, here I am as a pastor at Central Baptist Church. We got a radio program that's gone all over the world. We've reached over 2 million different IP addresses. That's 2 million different computers. How many people are watching? I don't know. But that's how many we've reached. But that would have never happened if the Lord didn't bring us a Dr. Mark Hopper. And 
a brother Dick Vaught who takes those sermons I record. I, I take about an hour and a half, sometimes two hours recording them. And then he's got to break them up into segments, take out all the messes I make, and, and get that straightened out. And, and God just gave us those two men. I, I think of Brother Randy down here and uh, how the Lord has blessed OCA through his leadership, and he really has. And we've seen more souls saved here in the last year or two than we had previously through OCA. And I, I'm so glad to have him here. And I'm so glad, even more glad, that his wife keeps him straight, you know. But uh, uh, we have, hallelujah, okay. Uh, but uh, we have just so many people here that God has blessed us with, just doing things. When I think of the Nelsons, you know, uh, there's those two, Gary and Lisa. She is 24-7 here. And these are people not getting a salary for those things, you know, in some of those areas. And, and then God has brought us some new folks here this year that have just been a blessing to my heart. So, yet when people come, sometimes you'll be around preachers, and Dr. Smith was telling a group of preachers up there, he says, hey, if you want to learn about how to do missions, go see Andy Bloom, talk to him. I'm saying, no, no, <laughs> don't do that. Go talk to Brother Lloyd, okay? Because <laughs> they get on that in that class, and they, get, they do a great job with it. But I'm, I'm just saying, a lot of times I get credit just like that mother gets credit with those boys. They get credit for what God's doing and what He's doing through many people, not just myself. And that's the blessing of being in God's work and serving the Lord and seeing Him work in the hearts and lives of people. So, as you'll notice in our text now, first, God knows and reveals the problem. That is the what. And or the who. In this one verse, he's showing what and who. Uh, and so, it is revealed here very plainly for us. He says there in verse 9, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. They are responsible. You know, we have things that come up uh, here and we'll say, well, that's the way their parents raised them. That's can't hold. Look, the uh, way people were raised, that may have an influence, but it doesn't take long for a child to know the difference between right and wrong. I mean, why does a little kid, maybe he's in the store, he's five years old, six years old, and he sees a piece of candy and grabs it and takes it and puts it in his pocket before anybody sees him, he thinks. But he looked around to make sure nobody was looking. Why did he look around? Well, he, he knew that it was wrong. And so there are things that we do that we want to make sure that nobody sees what's going on. We know it's wrong. Try to make up excuses for it, but there is no excuse. I had a lady in my office one time that said, uh, she was leaving her husband. It wasn't over adultery. It wasn't over anything. Just wouldn't want to be married anymore. And I said, you know, that's sin. She said, well, God will just have to forgive me. That's what she said. Now, I said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. I've heard people say the same thing, too, to say, you just got to forgive them. 
You know, God never forgave me until I come to Him and ask Him for forgiveness. When people come and ask for forgiveness, then you forgive them. You're to have it already in your heart, but you don't extend forgiveness until they ask. That's the way God did it. But He offers it out there. You want it to be right. And so, you do God's will, God's way. Now, when we look at this, He's told them, all right, you're destroyed. That's your problem. And the who is you, Israel. You're responsible for your actions. But then he adds, but in me is thine help. That's just letting them know, I'm, I want to help you. But you've got to do God's will, God's way, and in God's timing. If you don't do it His way, you're not going to get the help that you need. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes this preacher. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus Christ. I don't come close to measuring up to Him. I want to put on Christ, but I am not Christ. And so I want you to understand that, that in Romans 3.23, He says that all have sinned. That's every one of us. But in Romans 6.23, He says, For the wages of sin is death. Final, complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. So, we have before God a need to confess that we are sinners, that we can't save ourselves, and we can't blame our sin and our downfallings on our upbringing. We are created in God's image. God is a spirit, we're told, clearly in the Bible. That spirit has a free will. I remember my dad's first church up in Hickson, Tennessee. Little country church up there among some uh, fine country folks. But one of the things I remember is a little girl, she was probably about five or six years old, come to church every Sunday. I don't know if her mother brought her or who brought her, but she would be there every Sunday. Her dad was noted as something like the town drunk. Everybody knew that he was nothing but a drunk. As a matter of fact, there were many times that he would come by our house late at night, something like about midnight or one o'clock, and he'd be knocking on the door, and I need to get saved, and he'd be crying and all that, and Dad'd say, okay, well, let's get in your car, and let's take all those bottles out and break them. Uh, and that pretty well stopped his desire for salvation. He had guilt but he didn't have the heart that wanted to do it God's way. God designs a way of salvation. There are a lot of those out there say, if you do the best you can, you'll make it. No, you won't. That's not the way God said to do it. Well, God's going to judge between your good and your bad, and if your good outweighs your bad, you'll be all right. Well, let me tell you this. If that's what you think, you're going to break hell wide open. Besides, your good does not outweigh your bad. Can you imagine one of those mass murderers up before a judge and he's just been found guilty? He says, yes, yes, sir, I did that, but you know, there's a lot of good things I've done too. I shouldn't have to suffer for this because think of all the good things that I've done in life. That doesn't work. But we expect God to accept something that even a man won't accept. We know the difference. And so, 
uh, we were made in His image. We need to have discernment because His image has discernment. His Spirit, it discerns. His Spirit has a free will. His Spirit decides. Now, we blame far too many things on our past. Well, the first thing to do is to quit living in the past and accept the forgiveness of God. People may not forgive. It's not people's forgiveness you need unless you've wronged them. But if they won't forgive, God still forgives. He cleanses from sin. He cleanses from all unrighteousness. And, and since I've received Christ as my Savior, and all of you who have received Christ as your Savior, you are cleansed, and I am cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. My sin, your sin, required a blood payment. In Revelation 1.5, and it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince, of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I couldn't help him save me. All I could do is come to him and call him to him to save me. Kind of like the person that's out in the middle of the water and can't swim and they're going under. So what do they do? They call. They're screaming for help. When the help gets there, they don't tell them how to do it. They're just thankful that they can be saved from drowning. You can't save yourself. You come to Jesus Christ. You give Him your heart and life. Most often the problems of life find as did Israel that the who is our own self. That is the who. We are the who. We are the one that's the who as to the who's responsible for our problems. The what is our flesh's desire, the desire of the flesh over us. That's our what that we give into so often. And yet, it's our only way of victory. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we read this. Love not the world. Now, this is addressed to Christians. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, we needed Jesus to get saved. And we needed him to cleanse us from our sin. But we also need him because he should be the object of our love. If you follow him, you seek him, you seek him in prayer, you seek him in the word of God, you seek him daily, and he becomes a central part of your life so that the way you relate in your husband and wife relationship, the way you relate as a parent, the way you relate as a child, the way you relate in all things to the that concerns this world, it's what would Jesus have me to do? How would I do it? How does the Bible say to do it? And whatever he says to do, that's the way we're to do it. Now, they used to have the bracelet, this 
you know, WW, JD, what would Jesus do? Well, people had their ideas and had no biblical reason for it. Not what we think he should do. The Bible tells us what he'll do. There's a personal responsibility that's given to each of us. He goes on saying, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All those lusts, all those desires, he says, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Being in this world, we begin to develop a taste for the world, a desire for the world, but then notice in verse 17 of that same chapter, uh, chapter 2 of 1 John, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, all those desires will go with it. I mean, just think about the Old West. There might have been a saddle. There might have been a, a wagon. There might have been something they really desired, a horse of some kind. They don't desire it now. They want the tractor. They want the other things. See, those things change. But our God changes not. And so, he says, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The lust of the flesh will pass away. And I've watched over the years in the churches where the flesh started to take over. You would see the music. When the music went from hymns to Southern Gospel, now I'm going to be stepping on some toes. I love Southern Gospel. Preacher, don't go there. <laughs> okay. Well, it went to Southern Gospel and it got to be a more of an upbeat and people got into the music because it made them feel good more than the words. Now, some Southern Gospel music has some great words in it. But what I'm saying is the flesh started to take over. People started leaving the church where they prayed about it, got saved, and knew that that was where they were supposed to be. They started going to other churches because they had that music. And then the contemporary come along. Do away with the standards. Put in that beat. Blacken everything up in here. Put strobe lights. Put a drum up here on the platform. Get about four or five people half-dressed, singing away. Man, you got it. Yeah, and the flesh likes that for a lot of people. But if you've got a spirit that's right with God, you loathe it. You loathe it. Because our God is holy. He's holy all the time. He's holy all the time. Wherever it is, God is holy. The temple had specific instructions in its building, in its construction. Everything that was to be in there. The Antichrist will one day put up, when the temple is rebuilt there, an image. The Bible calls it the abomination of desolation. But you know what? It was back in Ezekiel's day. They drew images on the wall in the temple. They were worshiping the various goddesses. 
Jeremiah, they wanted to get rid of him because he preached against them. What did they do? They lost their nation, they lost their land, they lost everything. Trying to help them get back and get back into a right way. But, what does the will of God mean to you? He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The lust of your flesh desires certain things. Now, I've mentioned certain people here earlier that are a blessing that God gave us. Now, I'll tell you what. Mark does that things up there with the inner. I mean, when you got a guy that was one of 15 to 20 people helped develop the email system for the military that everybody uses today, he might know something. He might know something. Uh, Brother Randy worked on the Educational Council uh, for Governor Scott. And people say, well, he doesn't know what he's done at that school. <laughs> uh, he was one of those that went around and judged the schools on their academics and everything. And so people want to speak up because their flesh wants something else. I don't like the way that church does it. Well, their flesh wants something else. But what does God want? He's your help. He is your help, not the lust of the flesh. Now, that happens. It happens today. You get to verse 19 of 1 John chapter 2. He says, They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now look, that's not talking necessarily about salvation, although some might have went out that weren't really saved. I've had people break fellowship with me because I say that salvation, as the Bible says, includes repentance and faith. So I've had people just disassociate with me because I preach that. That's not fine. But I'm not ashamed. I stand on the Word of God. And I just pray that they get right with God. Now, so again, they were not of us. In other words, they didn't want that separation of the world. They wanted to come to church. Yeah, again, let me go back in time. You know what I used to hear as a boy and a teenager as well? little boy and a teenager growing up. If they didn't step on my toes, I don't feel like I've been in church. I mean, that was it. If they don't step on my toes, don't feel like I've been in church. I remember the first time I heard, and I heard it a lot of times after that, if I don't feel good about myself, I don't feel like I've been to church. And they went out from us because they were not of us. See, they weren't of the doctrine that we stand on in the Word of God. They want out. Why? Because they want to please the flesh. Now, don't say, who's he talking about? I'm not talking about anybody specific. That's not in mind. I'm trying to help you never to fall into those things. That's what it's about. Over years of ministry, finally you begin to see some things. Now, there are many cases where you've had fundamentalists 
who have preached it right down the line, right, everything right. And now they've gone contemporary, they've gone other places, they've gone in other sins and things of that nature. And so, what happens? They do like another man who did many wonderful works. I mean, that other man did many wonderful works. He was a good, solid man. He suffered for the cause of Christ. He did so many things. But guess what happened to him? Having loved this present world, Demas hath forsaken me. He went out from among them, and it identified him for what he was. Yet, at one time, he was true to the Word. In the New Testament, we have things that just really to be shadows of this. It is the love of the world that seems to come in and we're ruined because the trials of life are so hard that we think the world has the answer. You know, the Bible calls Jesus the counselor. Actually, I had a man say, Pastor, we'll have counseling for you and your wife if you'll just, uh, we'll, we'll pay for it, but we just want you to agree to go to counseling. I said, man, I've been in counseling for years. He said, you have? Yeah. I said, Jesus Christ the counselor. I've been reading what he has to say. Does anybody have something better to say than he does? He did not like my answer. But that was the truth. That was the truth. He thought she needed uh, really psych a lot of psychological counseling for living with me, I think. But uh, outside of that, I don't know. Now, our faith must be based on the Word of God. That and that alone. But how can you base your faith on the Word of God if you're not daily in the Word of God? See, a Christian who doesn't have the Word of God in their daily life is a Christian who is a mark, an easy mark for the devil. Now listen, back in the Old Testament and New Testament, you know what they had to do? They had to go to a synagogue or somewhere else like that to just hear the Bible read. They didn't have copies in each home. They had to go and hear it read. They could go and they could take it out if they knew how to read and read, but boy, you can, a lot of Christians have three and four Bibles in their house. There's no reason for a Christian not to be daily in the Word of God. And what I'm trying to tell you is, is that if you're not daily in the Word of God, you're going to be the who and you're going to be the what of the problem because you're not in God's Word and you're not seeking His will, praying about it on a daily basis. Lord, what would you have me to do? Show me from your Word something today that you want in my life. Show me what you want out of my life. Walk with God and get to know the love of God's greater far than silver or gold could ever afford. So our faith by trusting God's Word and living by it, determines whether we're going to win a battle or lose the battle of life. 
That's why if a Christian is serious about their faith, they need to be in a church where they preach the Word of God as it is to men as they are. Without compromise, without fear, and without favor. However, God's will must be consistent. It must be consistently adhered to in our lives. There are those who have ran from God's will in their life, and they paid dearly. Look, it's a high honor to have God's call on your life. But it's also a great responsibility. Following God's call in your life on this earth does not bring you praise from man. But you see, this life is temporal. The praise that will be in heaven, the praise and the glory will be in heaven where it's forever. It is eternal life. And oh, it's not regarded on earth many times, especially if you're staying true to the Word. Because many people who name the name of Christ have a greater love for the world than they do for Christ. And what every local church needs is God-called church members, preachers, Sunday school teachers, that will stay true to the Word of God. Now, so often, where you can tell them the difference is when they get tired of the standards and other things, they want to call you legalist. Does that sound intelligent? He's a legalist. Uh, what's a legalist? Because none of these believe that they have to work for their salvation. Well, they got all these standards and rules. Where do they get the standards and rules? From the Word of God. So they're legalists because they adhere to the Word of God. Now, now, make up your mind. What are you? Do you reject the Bible? Do you reject the Word? See, a lot of folks don't realize that some of the things they say is not intelligent, and they will see one day before God when all heaven is witnessing how ignorant it actually was. You see, we are to be drawing near to God and resisting the devil, and then the devil will flee from you. But if you will not draw nigh unto God through His Word and through prayer and through obedience, how can you resist the devil? Draw nigh unto God and resist the devil, and he flees from you. Now, what's it, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for us? For an example, at Pensacola Christian College, where I was going to college years ago, a preacher came in chapel. He got up there to preach, and it wasn't that great big auditorium then. The auditorium we was in was about the size of this one, maybe. But he took a, something out of his pocket, put it down there on the pulpit, opened his Bible, and he preached. I mean, boy, did he preach. He, he preached. I mean, he preached intensely. But the who was himself. But the what was his desire that he didn't want to follow the call of God. He turned from the ministry. He turned from the Word of God, leaving his call. And 
He was his own problem. He was the who and his turning from the call of God that he knew what God had him to do and he would not do it. He said, well, what's the deal? I mean, that's happened to a lot of people. Now look, he said, I am thine help. You get away, the Lord is your help. Come back to him, he will help you. The Lord is your help. Now about that preacher, a few days later, we had a preacher's class there, and we were meeting, and the teacher told us. So some of you saw him take out of his pocket something put on the plat on his on the pulpit. And, and I think most of us had. And uh, he said, Well, let me tell you the story behind that. That picture is a picture of his little girl. That little girl died a tragic death. It is what God had to do to wake him up. He'd take that picture out every time he preached. When I guess the teacher there would ask him, what, what was that? What do you do? Why, why do you do that? He says, that's my daughter. I got away from the Lord. That's what he did to get me back. It's not his fault. It's mine. Now, he's a preacher. But that would live with him till he got to heaven. Yes, that was a tragic thing. But it makes me ask the question, if you were at one time walking with God and you've gotten away from it, what's it going to take to bring you back? What will it take? Yes, we look at Israel, God's chosen people. He rescued them from Egypt. He rescued them from Egypt. They were under great bondage. They were under uh, just all these hard things. Some were beaten. Then they started killing their children because they thought there was too many of them. And they cried out to God. God gave them their help. God showed what he was doing to the children of Israel because all those judgments, all those plagues you see on Egypt, every one of those plagues is a plague on one of the gods that they had, that they worshipped. Every one of them. And yet, they all saw that. They saw the armies of the Egyptians drowned in the sea. They saw God provide the water out of a rock. And yet in the wilderness, they make a golden calf. They dedicate it unto Jehovah. Yeah, that's what it is. A lot of people don't realize that. That calf was made to say, by this, Jehovah has delivered us. They were doing it as unto Jehovah, as to God. God was ready to kill them all, but Moses interceded for them. And what did they do when they said, this is unto God? Oh, wasn't that spiritual? Wasn't that wonderful? Yeah, they were, 
drinking, dancing, taking their clothes off and everything else out there. But they were doing it unto God. They saw the way the Egyptians worshipped. Boy, they liked all those things. They wanted their religion to be like that. God was ready to destroy them all if Moses doesn't intercede. You see, you look at the trouble and the problems with this country. I think it began first with its churches. And if these churches don't have revival in them, they don't have a revival of holiness, righteousness, and true holiness, you're going to see this country crash. I hope not. I hope that there is revival throughout this country. But if not, it's going to crash. What will it take? We have destroyed ourselves. We've kicked God out of the schools. But we're kicking His holiness out of local churches all across this country. Don't have those standards anymore. Don't have that kind of music anymore. Don't have that kind of preaching anymore. Okay, you've just kicked God out. If you do that, live with the consequences. But I'll tell you what, you won't enjoy them. You will not enjoy them. You'll find out that thou hast destroyed thyself. When Israel finally gets through all the land, they get into Israel, what do they do? They start worshiping like their gods were. Finally, God had so much of it, He turned them into captivity. Over and over and over and over again, they would repent. God would heal their land. But then they'd go back to it after, well, looks like everything is all right now. We can go back. Finally, God sent them all into captivity. They didn't want to repent anymore. You got the seven churches of Revelation that do not stand anymore. Yeah, New Testament Christianity, churches turned. That's why you must be committed to God's will. God's way, God's timing. Yes, all those things happened to Israel. Oh, what God did to try to get their attention. A lot of people would think, oh, that was mean that put them into captivity. It was mean that their king would see his children killed in front of them and then the king of Babylon take his eyeballs out so that the last thing that he would see was his children being killed before they locked him up. That was terrible. I believe it got his attention. Manasseh, the worst, the most evil king of all. You know, he got, I believe he got saved in his later life because he was in prison. He was in wrapped up in all those thorns and thistles, drugged through it and all that, and bad way, he turned back to God. Probably one of the best kings of Israel was Josiah. He came from Manasseh. But Manasseh's earlier life is not the reason his other children went wrong. They made their own choice. Because they didn't choose to follow Manasseh's repentance. Josiah followed the Word of God and stood on it. Many children and families, they've grown up in drugs, 
pornography, all of that. I can remember visiting a home. The parents were there and they had this great big giant screen TV. They invited me to come in. They said, we're going to go out and finish lunch if that's all right. I said, sure, yeah, go, out, go ahead and finish there. I'll just sit here. They had on that screen pornography. And they had about three or four little kids between about three and seven running around in there. I was getting angry. I did not do a good job in presenting the gospel that day. I, I will tell you that. I did present it, but not well. I was angry. But when the mother and dad come back out, she saw that. She said, you shouldn't have that on to her husband. The preacher's here. Those kids are seeing it, and she's concerned about the preacher seeing it. Tell you another story. This just happened last week. We were up at uh, the Sword of the Lord conference. Uh, son Paul, with the sheriff's department and so forth, dr drove us up. And, uh, you know, the whole way driving up there, while we were there driving back, constantly his phone was going off and he was having to talk text everything on what to do back here. I think there's about three murders that week, I think. Three or four, I'm not sure which. But the one that got me the most was this. A nine-year-old girl, nine years old, calls 911. She's trying to revive her daddy out on the front yard. She's trying to do CPR on her daddy. They get an ambulance there and he's already dead. But in the car is the mother. She's not dead, but just like the daddy, OD'd on drugs. You ever wonder why we have a bus ministry and an OCA? Look, OCA, they could probably tell you many. Oh, I know some of them, but I'm not going to share them at this point. But of parents living in such ways that are wicked, extremely wicked. And they've been here. We try to help them out. We know that the only way a lot of these children are going to hear about Christ is right here. That's why there's a bus ministry. That's why we could use so many more people going out there knocking on doors. Can we take your children to Sunday school and church with us? We got a children's church there. They're, they're preaching in there right now. Oh, my friend. That's going on in conservative Ocala, Florida. We need to get over being happy with conservative politics more than we are wanting to serve Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, let me read one more verse here. And then we'll close, and that's verse 14. God says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. 
But then, after that colon, he says, O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. You say, what in the world is he talking about? You have a chance now to be saved. You die without Jesus Christ. You know, when I was growing up, one of the things that used to be always mentioned and preached about was the unpardonable sin. Well, people had different things they named as the unpardonable sin. But my dad, I think he said it the best. He said, if you die without Christ, that's unpardonable. You die without Christ, that's unpardonable. And I believe that when I read that verse and I looked at that verse, it hit me. Death, I'm not going to listen to repentance. There are going to be people for the wages of sin is death. They have died in their sin, separated from God forever in hell, and they're crying unto God, save me, take me out, I'll give you myself. It's too late. It's too late. Nobody woke up this morning and said, okay, I'll eat at 12, and then at 3 o'clock I think I'll die. No. It's the last thought in your mind, will I die today? But I'm asking you this, do you know that if you did die today, then heaven's your home? Is it worth playing Russian roulette with your soul, your eternal soul, to not receive Christ? Are you worried about what the world will think? I don't know what the world will think now if you die without Christ. But I'll tell you this. The rich man in hell was hoping that somebody would go to his brothers and lead them to Christ. As he cried out in hell, there was no help for him. My friend, do you know if you died today that heaven's your home? Jesus Christ died for your sins. And Christ is thine help. But if you don't come to him, you want to live according to the lust and the desires of the flesh, and you don't want to become a Christian. My friend, just like that preacher who ran from the call of God, it may hit your home. You might be a Christian here and God's calling you to do something and you're just avoiding it. You don't want to do it. Look, I didn't want to be a pastor. To be honest with you, I did not want to be a pastor. When my dad came out to Arizona and said, hey, we want you to come back, you know, and all this other stuff, I'll continue two more years and you'll take over. I actually told my wife, I just said, we laughed that night. I just said, uh, we'll wait till they get back to Ocala. Then I'll call them and say, no, that's not it. Dad talked to me, and he said, now, you pray about this. He was getting, back then you could walk out on the tarmac, you know, and all that with him. And he said, now, remember, you told me you'd pray about it. I said, okay, yeah. So, and I did. I started praying. I said, Lord, come and come up with the right words that won't make him feel so bad. And the Lord just really impressed that's not the way to pray. You know, I walked in the desert for days on end, praying with just a Bible in my hand trying to find out, Lord, 
How can you do it? I've got about 25, 35 people here that, yeah, I think it's 35 we got, that got saved out there under that ministry in, in a year's time. And we're trying to lead them to Christ. And, and we've led them to Christ. And now we're helping them grow in the Lord. And all of a sudden, Lord, you're leading me out of here? That wouldn't be it. I fought the Lord on it. Finally, when I said, okay, Lord, I'll go. And I called my dad. I said, Dad, I guess it is God's will. He wants us to go. And about the, when I said that to him, it's just like somebody took about 300 pounds off my shoulders. There's another church in that town that, boy, I just loved it. I preached there a few times. The pastor and I was real good friends. I'd even told him, I said, boy, I'd like to have your church. And man, that'd be great. I'm meeting in that rented schoolhouse up there. And um, less than 24 hours after I told my dad that, he called. That preacher called and said, uh, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going up to a church in Idaho to be the pastor. Our church wants you to come be its pastor. I said, man, why didn't you call me 24 hours ago? <laughs> but you know, even before that, I knew what it was to grow up in the pastor's home. Before I ever went to the pastor the first time, I knew what it was to be that way. My wife, when we were dating, we were dating, and, you know, we got to talking. We were starting to get serious, and I told her, you know, I feel like I'm called to be a pastor, but I haven't really walked that way yet. And her reply, I've always wanted to be a pastor's wife. <laughs> you know, I, I just, knew, I mean, I'm laughing to myself because she has no idea. But you know what? All those things are true. I mean, your fair game, your wife's fair game, your children are fair game. I know what it is. I grew up in that. I, I've been at home when I was sitting there with my dad and got a telephone call. I just saw your son. He's here. He's, he's drunk. He's driving around. He's cussing and everything else. I'm sitting right there. You know what I'm saying is, is I know that goes with it. But now I tell you what, looking back over the years and all those things, I wouldn't trade it for what God's given. The relationship with Him, the growth in His Word, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So my friend, that's just how God worked with me. And He had to work with me to get my attention in several things. I'm just trying to help you to give it all to Christ before He has to do that. Won't you do that? Let's bow our heads.